0: G'day, you mob. Welcome back to The Goss. We're finally back in the flesh. Well, Dad and I are in the flesh, meaning that we're not naked, but we are in each other's presence physically. We are there in the flesh. So, Dad is finally able to leave the house because the lockdown rules in Victoria have finally been relaxed. They have become a little more lax. And Dad came over this week and recorded a long one and a half hour episode of The Goss with me, catching up on a bunch of stories that have been going down in Australia in the meantime. So, in today's episode, we talk about why Australian internet is so damn horrible. We talk about human exploration of the Arctic and Antarctic regions of the world and how humans travelling to Mars eventually, when that happens, might drive them crazy crazy. We talk a little bit about COVID-19, but more specifically about how COVID-19 is illustrating the differences between Australian and United States culture. And then we talk about luxury Wagyu beef and someone who paid almost $100,000 for a few embryos. And lastly, we chat about Brumbies in Australia, which are now able to be culled in order to conserve the Victorian and New South Wales wilderness. So, with that aside, guys, kick the kookaburra and let's get into the episode. Dad, welcome back to The Goss. Hey, Pete. Good to be back here. Been a little while,
1: been a little while, huh? It has certainly been a while since I've been here at this desk.
0: I know. It's good to have the audio back. I don't know what it is with uh, Australia, but um, every time I have, especially on Skype interviews, they seem to always drop out despite having the NBN here. Yeah. Maybe that's something to start with. Why is our internet considered some of the crappest internet in the entire world? Because it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well played. <laughs> yeah, but, but why is that? What's the um, explanation?
1: Uh, well, yeah, this uh, we're now five or six years, actually more than that seven or eight years, I think, into a rollout of a national broadband network, hence NBN. Yeah. When that was initially proposed about 10 years ago, it was supposed to be, you know, world-leading technology, fastest broadband you could get and so on. What we now have is the world-leading fastest broadband you could get 10 years ago. Mm. (laughs) And so uh, they didn't plan on upgrading during the rollout. And so we're really it's taken so long to do we're really just stuck with old age technology and the other thing they did is pull back on the plans for it after about six months because it was originally going to be fiber to every home yeah and they they being the uh, the government at the time decided that that was just going to be too expensive and so where there is supposedly good copper network the ordinary old phone network um, they decided to go from um, the fiber through to a node at a copper um, subjunction and um, so we're stuck with the fastest that you can get over copper which is nowhere near what you can get over fiber so we actually have reasonably good broadband um, up to yeah, the t- up to the locations where the fiber gets to. Yeah. Uh, but as soon as you go over to the copper network, then you know, you're really just you know, back in the olden days. So that's a bit ridiculous.
0: Do you think it's going to change in the future at all? Or um,
1: look, it it will change. the The challenge for us will be to determine when that's going to change, because having spent billions of dollars on getting this network in. Neither government, I say neither because we really only have two major parties in this country, so it's either one or the other that'll be in government. I don't think either of them is going to bite the bullet to do a revamp to this network in the next 20 years. Um, It'll be incremental. They'll improve the technology internally, but I don't think they're going to roll out a new network in a hurry. Uh, Hopefully the next bite is to say, well, well, we'll keep improving the quality of the fibre, but we'll also start replacing those, you know, at the moment copper network um, into the house. And having the copper in there is is equally ridiculous because we used to have, if you're now on the NBN, you can't have a normal telephone unless you have a second line run into your house because the old lines used to run a split line um, so that you could run uh, a modem and have your phone running off the same old telephone line um, with a filter on the modem, but now the NBN takes over the whole line, so your phone has to be via um, the internet, and so voice over IP is dodgy at the best of times, as you're finding with Skype, because that's exactly the same technology. It's effectively yeah. what you have ringing your phone now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, we've got the the worst. Of both worlds, we're still on the old copper one, but we can't get a good phone connection on that anyway. So, we've dro- just dropped using our landline. Most uh, houses are starting to do most that. Most houses aren't they? are doing it now because, yeah. Well, firstly, because you're in this silly situation of yeah you know, not being able to have a, a standalone landline, uh, you're relying on running through your modem. Uh, the reason we kept it originally um, is because, and we had the oldest phone that you could possibly run on the system that generated its power directly out of the phone because the phone line was running a small amount of electricity through it to power phones. Uh, But, but of course, all modern-day phones um, are um, requiring electricity. So we wanted to be able to, at the worst possible scenario, where we have no mobile network and no electricity, we would still have a phone being able Mm. to be used. But now we're reliant on a phone connecting through our modem. So all a bit
0: silly. It is interesting. I don't know. It was one of those things where I was doing a, a culture shock video the other mm. day and someone mentioned that in the comments. It was like, why is Australia's internet so shithouse?
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, that's why is because we've had what, what 10 years ago was a great idea yeah. has just been compromised by economics the whole way along. You know, governments have continued to say, oh, we can't afford it. We can't afford it. And so, the original plan just got diluted.
0: So, what about news-wise this week? Anything interesting come up on your radar? Hey, I'm allowed to be here. I'm allowed to be here. <laughs> yeah, well, the changes came through, was it, last, last night, night? at Midnight. midnight.
1: Yeah, well, 11.59 uh, last mm. night. So, uh, yeah, so, we've had uh, a slight reduction in the lockdown. Uh, that has
0: been such a headache in terms of understanding the rules because- Every state is different mm. based on mm. that, which makes sense. It's a better way of managing the whole country because it's a finer scale yes. yeah. system of management as opposed to just a broad scale, you know, a hammer for all nails. But- at the same time they keep broadcasting on the news the different rules for every different state and territory and so it gets really confusing at the end of the day when you've seen every single state's yes, yeah, exactly. rules and you're like holy crap am I allowed to leave the house with two people or one person or am I allowed to have my parents over yes but only if they're babysitting or like just yeah <laughs> I know I know it's all it's a bit bizarre but but they have just relinquished or relinquished um
1: yeah it's just you yeah, know reduced the uh, the lockdown criteria now so that we're allowed to have you know you're allowed to have up to five visitors in your household. Yeah. Um, you know, you're, they've reopened um, outdoor sporting venues for recreational sport, not for competitive sport, but you can now go out and play golf or have a hit of tennis or fishing. kick a football around or throw a basketball or a netball around or go fishing, those sort of things, which are you know, social recreational sport. Uh, which is good because at least people can now get out and do something other than just walking around.
0: Yeah, well, that was sort of, I think I understood the expression cabin fever a lot more towards the end. I mean, you know, and we're not, it's not as severe as it would be in Canada where that expression comes from, from people being stuck in a cabin for months at a time because of winter. Yes. But the very fact that you can't really leave the house to go and do anything aside from the main bare essentials yeah, yeah. shopping work um, yeah, and in and my exercise. case i've been
1: you know, i've been locked myself down to the point where i actually didn't leave the property for a month how did that feel
0: you know, uh, cabin fever Was it shocking <laughs> it though was, was that something because you, you don't wasn't really shocking about
1: because it. you you sort of unfortunately it's one of those it's like the frog in the boiling water um, <laughs> Yeah, you know, which time, is a myth yes of course <laughs> it is but by the time you're dead you don't notice uh, and it's one of those yeah the first few days it was just yeah I would have days where I didn't leave the house anyway. Yeah. Um, but the moment that then, someone tells you Then you all of a sudden I didn't and yeah. then didn't and then didn't. And eventually it's, oh, I'll just go up to, oh I just can't go out to the shops or I can't go to the post office box. I can't go for a walk around the block. I can't, you know, yeah. take the dog out. You know, all of those sort of things. So,
0: It is funny. I was watching a documentary series recently with Kel called Mars. And it's an mm. interesting documentary series where it's kind of a- I've forgotten the mesh of words, but like a docu-series or whatever it's called yeah. where it's kind of like a dram- dramatic series. It's a
1: dramatised documentary in a, in a hypothetical yeah. documentary. Well, yeah. so, they
0: have, they're have they interviewing people like Elon Musk and, you know, people from yes. NASA at the same time as showing these crazy scenes, or well, like crazy scenes, these film scenes of people acting out what it would have been like or what it will be like in the future to go from Earth to Mars. Mm. But a big thing that they, they were talking about in the most recent, episode was the fact that most people who have been experimented on so far, because they've run experiments now where they- I think the Americans have run an experiment where they locked people up for 150, 200 days Mm -hmm. in a mock Mars mission, and the Russians did it for 500 days. And I think out of the Russian one, at least, five of the seven people were not psychologically sound by the end of it. Yeah, Yeah. Because the biggest problem with missions like that- is not that you have lots of people together. It's that you have small numbers of people together f- in an enclosed space for a very you, long time. And you can't get away. Yeah. yeah. And so, they were talking about- It's the, like the Big Brother experiment. Exactly. You know, and that's what thing. I said to Kel. Yeah. I was like, this is why they put Big Brother together. They, you know, lock everyone in a house and put cameras on them. And because intend to drive them mad. Exactly. Because yeah. <laughs> you want to see what's going to happen. But I had never thought about that in that sending people to Mars a big part of it, a big thing that they're going to have to overcome is how do we keep everyone sane mm. when there's a limited number of people, they can't leave, they can't go outside, you can't right. come back home, you can't necessarily just call your friends and family when you want to. That's going to be delayed by, I assume, hours, maybe days, the message is yes, going back yeah. and forth. So, all of these, they were talking about all of the physical restraints and the, you know, the, the monetary aspects of things and, and all the resources they would need, but then they didn't. They didn't get to until recently just how much you're going to have to psychologically prepare people and really try and pick the right people for the job because, you know, if they go crazy, they put everyone at jeopardy. Yeah, well, there's
1: there's a- pseudo-experiment on that in the case of Antarctic researchers. Yeah, well, they brought that and up, exactly. Because they uh, Antarctic researchers do go through a lot of psychological screening yep. and training in order to cope with the uh, the sort of meta-isolation, but the complete reverse of isolation, and that's the challenge, is that you're isolated from the rest of the world,
0: yep. but you're stuck with a group of people that you can't get away from. Yeah. <laughs> and so... When you must have to have a pretty good maturity, right, especially for resolving problems, because mm. you can't just have a grudge and walk away and ignore the person, which is, they were saying, a big way of us dealing with our issues. If you and I have an argument, I can go home yeah. and get out of your face. And even if we don't resolve it, we get away from one another. Mm. But if you're stuck in somewhere like Antarctica or much worse, Mars, there's no, you know, you can just avoid this person. Yeah, sitting
1: in my room for three months. <laughs> <Yes. Yeah. So
0: laughs> you're all working together. But mm. the interesting thing they brought up was the Shackleton mission. And I think he wasn't Australian. He was British, right? He was British, But he had a carpenter who went nuts, apparently, was psychologically unsound. Mm. And so, when he left his crew, and I think Shackleton was the one who- was that he had to walk like 800 miles or something crazy in order to get to help, he had to take that carpenter with him because he knew if he left him with his men, it'd cause all sorts of trouble and they'd probably die because this guy's a, a nut job. Yeah,
1: Shackleton's a really interesting story. It's one of the great leadership stories um in that this is somebody who who when you when you read what that expedition went through yeah of having their ship stranded in the antarctic being iced in over winter um and effectively the ice destroyed the ship so they what knew were they were aiming, never going to get out what were they aiming to do why were they doing they were that? they were trying to get to the south pole yeah um this was in the you know, early early 20th century when there was a race to the South Pole and various attempts were being made. And Shackleton's was probably the best um, kitted out, <laughs> <laughs> prepared <laughs> yeah. um, expedition. But they just copped unusually bad weather um, and got iced in and then the ship was destroyed
0: with the ice. And to mention the ship was a sailing ship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. this so is this a sailing ship. this is the ships. turn of the 19th yeah. century, 20th yeah. century. Well, they can't,
1: they can't use... Um, I think it probably had small diesel motors as yeah. well, but it was primarily a sailing ship uh, because you couldn't use at that time a, a large steamer because, you know, of the, the temperature would have been, you know, really hard and you couldn't carry enough fuel uh, yes. back in those days. So, um so yeah, they yeah sailing ship got stranded and they just survived on the ice for months. Well, they um, lived in the ship for a while, right? They did. They and lived in it and then capsized and then got yeah, crushed and yeah. sank. And so they lived on it on the ice for you know, overwintered effectively there. And yeah. once winter had gone, they decided, well, the, we're not going to get out on the ship. The only way we can get out is in the lifeboats, and they took two lifeboats out to um, South Georgia Island, and then. They had to leave half the crew there uh, on one of the islands before they got to South Georgia, um, and that's when Shackleton took yeah, a smaller part of the crew uh, onto the shore of the south, south coast of South Georgia, and then they had to walk across the island, and this is a you know, mountain. This island is a mountain in the sea, and they had to cro- walk across glaciers to get to the other side where they knew there was a whaling station. Um, and yeah, they did to get help and he yeah. didn't lose he didn't lose a person. I think that's one of the most time.
0: astonishing things about it right yeah. is that his yeah, as you say his leadership was so good that not a single person died on that mission yeah. but I think the opposite happened with Mawson right? Yeah. Which yeah. is the Australian guy who went to the Antarctic and tried to do um, yes, the same well, thing. Yes, well,
1: he and his partner, I uh, can't remember his partner's name, unfortunately, well, he's the one who died. Yeah,
0: <laughs> um, Mawson survived. Yeah,
1: Mawson survived, but, uh, yeah, they, were, um, they weren't they were the only ones at the station at the time, but they were they went out on a long, you know, multi-day trek yeah. um, doing some form of geological research out there, and... Um, They had a couple of accidents and ran out of food. Were they with dogs as well? They They had a dog sled, and yeah, they were. And the end, uh, the dogs were dying, Um, and they were eating the dogs. Mm -hmm. Um, But his partner ate only the liver, and he died of vitamin A poisoning. Yeah, Uh, because they had no idea, right?
0: Because they had no idea. And the the liver would have been the easiest part to eat. Liver's
1: easiest, but you can eat it raw. Yeah, Uh, and so. Uh, they were you know Mawson survived but his partner didn't die of vitamin A poisoning so
0: yeah there's some crazy exploration stories yeah but um back to the news so back to the news yes. no interesting news except for the covid not much, stuff not much no. it's it's interesting to see it winding down in several countries but winding up in others you know and like I think there's sort of three extremes there's Australia which is kind of locked down and done really well for itself although we have been you know very locked down and who knows what kind of effect it's going to have on the economy and how long mm. probably for the rest of our lives we'll be paying off the debt. But, you know, hopefully it was worth it. Then you have places like America where they've done a sort of- They've locked down more or less, but it's gone out. They did it too late and it's gone out of hand, right? Yeah. And now you've got a whole lot of people in America- um, protesting to try and have the lockdown stopped, right? Yeah, I know. Oh, so don't get me started. Is that that's a really <laughs> interesting thing, though? I mean, we've had the same here. We had some minor protests, you know, fifty guys with three teeth. Amongst the crowd right yeah, exactly, <laughs> all complaining about the lockdown in Melbourne, but yeah, but mostly
1: they were complaining about yeah, if you looked at the list of things they were complaining about, it was everything from you know, anti vaccination yeah. through to you know five g network causing coronavirus and uh, yeah they were just a bunch of wackos uh-huh. <laughs> not that the not that the Uh, People who are protesting in America aren't a bunch of wackos, but they're not quite in the conspiracy theorists (laughs) category that some of the Australians
0: were. It it underlines the sort of difference in Australia versus American culture to some degree too, right? Because we kind of suck it and see. Mm. We deal with it and we're like, all right, these are the restrictions. We're just going to take it. In America, they seem to be much more at a state level, independent and want to do their own thing. And then at the person level, there's that aspect of freedom. Personal no freedom. No one's yeah. telling me what to do. I'll have my guns. Yeah, I'm going to do exactly. what I want, you know, yeah. lockdown. Pfft. So, it is interesting to see how that's manifesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it is. And and look, that whole personal freedom thing, and we've talked about this in a couple of other episodes of the differences between Australia and the, and the United States and other, you know, modern Western countries. But... Um, I think that personal freedom thing is just so inbuilt um, into the psyche of many people in America that it's really hard to break down. And it's almost, I mean, to me, it's just completely selfish. Um, It's one of those things where you look at it and go, there are some times where you just have to bite the bullet and put up with things that are not exactly how you would want it to be for the greater good of humanity and And ultimately, for your own good as well, because you're just one of those humans that are you know in the, in our society, and so this you know, there's ability of, you know personal choice and freedom to do what you like, and then the carrying weapons one is the same thing right like, <laughs> where you've got people who are carrying assault weapons around in a protest, if that happened in Australia, they would just be shot. yeah, there would be no question the yeah. police wouldn't even think about it
0: and well but to, to cage that the police would be thinking how the hell did this guy get this weapon well they, yeah exactly but it's, <laughs> it's not even legal and
1: that's the point but but if you can but and that's the difference is yeah. that you simply can't carry weapons in the street in australia yeah. it's illegal yeah. whereas in many states in the united states you, you can have a knife, permit right? no exactly I can't
0: just walk around with a knife in my hand no, even no. if i'm a chef going and to even, work even if you, like, you, yeah, you put your
1: yeah, pocket knife in a little wallet on your side that you might have walking around on a farm yeah. you can't do that in the street um so yeah it's a different mentality. Yeah. Um, and it's it's something that yeah you know, we've obviously grown up in a country where that's just completely unusual
0: and yeah you, know, you just sit there and look at it and go these are just like aliens. It's it's just not the same. Well, it's the cultural th- aspect of society like that because you think Americans are Australians. all Alter- like our cultures aren't that much different. No, from no, one another 95% and 5% the same. Genetically mm. we're probably not that much different mm. either. I mean we have a different sort of history in terms of they had slavery, we didn't have slavery the same way, we were much more convict-based, but ultimately, you would think our cultures are pretty similar. But the very fact that they had- It's so funny that they had that- Their constitution, right, was written, mm. and it was written from from what I understand beautifully, you know, that they had these rules set out. At the time, yes. it made a lot of contextual sense. Exactly. And yet, at the time, they had no idea what was to come, and the Founding Fathers have- inadvertently set their culture up to be something that's very hard to adjust or change. Well, it is, and
1: that's that's the same with any I mean their constitution is effectively the same as ours in not in in what it contains, but in its structure, in that in order to change the constitution you have to have an amendment go through both houses and in the case of the united states the third tier of the government which is the president and it has to go to a referendum and have a majority of the people in a majority of the states agree with it now that is really hard to do yeah and so it's it's very difficult to to get those sort of amendments through when some of those initial amendments were made to the original constitution, because the original constitution had nothing to do with, uh, nothing about free speech, nothing about religion, nothing about, uh, you know, the right to bear arms, they're all initial amendments in their constitution.
0: To pause you there, it's so funny that they're always, you know, the Second Amendment, even I know that as an Australian, has to do with the right to bear arms in America, yes. right? It always blows my mind that, that Americans, you'll, you will see, will quote the fact that it was an amendment- yeah. that allowed them to do this that cannot be amended. Yes, They will say, it, you, it, you of can't change it, can. it. And it's yeah. like it was an amendment yeah, I know. to the original I know. thing. <laughs> and not only that, but yeah, you know,
1: I've had, you know, I've, we have plenty of American relatives and I have plenty of American friends. And I've had discussions which have turned into arguments with several of them around the fact that they simply don't understand their own... <laughs> their own history, <laughs> in that that Second Amendment had nothing to do with individuals bearing arms. Yeah. It was that the states could control and have their own militia, armed militia, so that they could defend themselves against a tyrannical federal government. And good luck it, doing that now. And that was yeah. because they had
0: come out of a war against England, yes. right, where yeah. England was effectively a tyranny. Yes, take, exactly Taking right. too much tax and from the And because they are a colonies. Commonwealth, like
1: we are in Australia, where the power in the structure of the United States in Australia is that the country is created by a group of states who have agreed to form themselves into a Commonwealth. And so it's a federation, hence federal government. And so that the states in America wanted to have the ability to separate and defend themselves if they had a tyrannical federal government. It had nothing to do with the right for individuals to bear arms. Of course, if you're going to have a militia back in, you know, the 18th century, you needed the ability for individuals to have their own arms, because yeah. the states didn't have their own, you know, garrisons and, and, the, and their own arms supplies, uh, so individuals had to be able to carry arms, and that's what, that's how it actually came about. Uh, but, you know, the purpose of it really was to be able to overthrow the government. Well, Good luck with trying to yeah, overthrow exactly. the American military. What, you, you what are you going to do, get a few... <laughs> You, what are
0: they, AR-20s together, and you take on the might of the, the world's biggest military. And biggest ever. <laughs> yeah. uh, like, good luck, guys. <laughs> I don't think
1: it's the biggest. I think China probably has the biggest military, but yeah. certainly the most powerful in terms of technology and money going into it. But, yeah. Yes. All right. A bit strange.
0: So, I've got one here. Luxury Wagyu beef producer Mayura Station pays world record price $92,000 for 4 Embryos. Four embryos. Mm. So, the embryos were sired by a bull and heifer, which is a female cow, a heifer, whose genetics can be traced back to the original five full-blood Wagyu beef exported to Australia from Japan. What do you think Wagyu means? Um, i don't I know what it is, but I don't know what the word means in Japanese. <laughs> I had no idea either. No, no, no. I was like it's the beef right? yeah it just means it's Japanese beef it is, but Apparently. it's a,
1: it's a particular style of um, it's about creating steak. Mm-hmm. It's a particular style of steak where it's very fatty, it's got this yeah. marbled view of it so that it's got little effectively patches of pure fat in it, um, which makes it very tasty and easy to cook. Uh, but it's extremely expensive because it's rare. Yeah. Uh, so obviously he'd better be hoping that one of them is a male.
0: Well, yeah, so this, <laughs> the South Australia Wagyu beef operation... G'day, mate. That was the first half of this episode of The Goss. If you would like to continue watching or continue listening to this episode, make sure that you sign up for the premium podcast or academy memberships at aussieenglish.com.au where you will get full access to these entire episodes of this series and much, much more. You can go check that out using the links below or just go to aussieenglish.com.au. Once again... Thank you so much for joining me, mate, and I will see you next time. Peace.